Well, if you have your Bibles, take those out or point your devices to our uh, church Wi-Fi. If you're trying to log into that, any of those options that look like they're for Centralia Church, the password is simply Centralia Church, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, If you have the old-style cell phone where you have to hit the A button several times to get a C, that probably won't work. Sorry, buddy. (laughs) So this morning, um, there's two things I want to share with you. I have a sermon that I would uh, like to uh, preach this morning. Uh, And then uh, at the close of that, uh, there's something that... I wanted to uh, chat with you about a little statement to read here. Um, and so we'll, we'll go through our text this morning. And I would ask you to turn your Bibles to probably page number two in your Bible. We're looking at uh, Genesis chapter two, a couple verses there. But I want to talk this morning about something that I sense is largely lost. In our, in our current culture, Sabbath. And it's a tough one. I think we sort of understand the concept of Sabbath. Of course, many grew up during years of blue laws where things were prohibited from being open on Sundays. And so Sunday was the day of rest. You went to church and then you went home and ate and then you maybe spent all afternoon talking about what somebody like me would have said or reading the Bible or singing songs together. And then lots of folks went back to church and listened to somebody like me for another while, (laughs) longer. You know me, I try and get it all in just on Sunday morning and then we don't have to come back on Sunday night. But we we don't live in a culture that slows down very well, if ever. Um, now, some people do a really good job of Sabbath. Some people have built it in as a discipline. And when you see it done well, it's a beautiful thing. Some people know how to disconnect and slow down, but the majority of us do not. The majority of us, as I see it, really struggle with laying things aside and slowing down and practicing what I think God intends uh, out of Sabbath for us. And I think that it's, it's something that every age group present in this room struggles with. So, uh, you know, sometimes when we address uh, topics and things that the Bible brings up, sometimes it hits one demographic much harder than another, just because of phase of life and so forth. But practicing keeping a Sabbath I think is a struggle for every age group. So for, for kids these days, the pace at which our schools go is intense. Try to get ahead, get into the right schools, all of the extracurricular activities that we are told that, hey, if your kids don't participate in this, 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 and this, then they're never gonna make it as a successful human being. It's a lie, but that pace is just, it just keeps getting faster. But then you, you know, you graduate high school, you go out into college, and you're trying to figure out how to be a, a 
college student and you're kind of navigating that time between you know what it's like to be at home in, in high school and in those days and what it's like to be uh, a young adult out in the world you know a little bit more responsibility and freedom and the pace never slows down there either you graduate college or maybe a trade school or maybe you just go right into the work force and you experience it maybe a little bit sooner but uh, our business climate in this country is just a grind. Work, 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 work. It's never enough. More widgets always need to be made. Whatever it is that you do, there's a constant pressure to do it faster, more efficiently, and with higher quality. And in these days of profit, for less expense. Well, you, you know, you work, a career and you your kids are growing up in the home oh, I forgot to mention that phase where you have kids in the home <laughs> right I mean it never stops Amen. Amen. <laughs> exactly we know we know this real I'm not saying anything that we don't already know but I think sometimes we just get caught up in the pace of life and while we feel the grind we don't step back and evaluate it well and make course corrections and insert habits and disciplines in our lives that might help with some of that. So your kids grow up and you approach the years where you're going to be an empty nester. And, you know, on, on the surface, surface, it's like, wow, I might have some money and a whole lot more time because my kids are going to be out of the house. And, but then, you know, kids grow up and start to have grandbabies. And you want to go see the grandbabies, right? And you still have to work, and so there's still the grind of that, and so empty nesters aren't immune from this pressure. And you know what? I've talked to so many retired senior adults who are in what a lot of people call these days the fourth quarter. How am I going to finish well? And you would think, okay, I'm, I'm laying down all my responsibilities and fire up the truck and the camper and let's go. That doesn't always work, does it? I talk to so many retired people who their calendars are as full as they've ever been. And so it's not something, a conversation about a healthy Sabbath, I don't think it misses any person in this room. So I don't think, I don't think anybody has a pass in here to tune out. Um, the struggle to, to slow down is real. Um, it's hard to just pause, come to a complete stop. You can't California roll through a Sabbath day. You come to a stop. And you rest in the Lord. And the scriptures, I want to read a couple of the scriptures to you as God uh, lays it out for us. In, in Genesis chapter 2, of course, in the beginning of Genesis, we get the, um, the poetry of God's creation. And we know, uh, we've heard that, you know, he created, uh, you know, it's, it's set in seven day, a seven-day cycle in our text. And we get to the seventh day, and this is what it says in Genesis chapter 2. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God is, God is practicing something here. He's putting a model out there for us. And it's so important that he, he kind of uh, formalizes it when the people, you know, they had spent all those years in slavery in Egypt and, and uh, you know, Moses was called to go and, and get the people and, and bring them out from under the oppression and the slavery they were facing. And they get out into the wilderness, and to this point, they don't have a law. They don't know how to be a functioning people together. They have, they have, their population has kind of exploded while they've been in slavery all these years, and they've kind of been told what to do, how to do it, and they've tried to keep some of the traditions from their ancestors, but all of what we know in the scriptures and the law, those, those practices weren't part of their routine, everyday life yet. So they had to learn how to function as a people together. When you leave slavery, when you leave uh, the places that kind of keep you in prison like that, and you, and you go out and you experience this new freedom in life, we, God says, hey, I, I need to tell you. I need to show you. I created you, so I think I might know something about this. I, I want to tell you how you ought to function with one another. And he gives them the law. And, and one of the law, we kind of summarize the law in, in the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment, uh, you can look at it. It's, um, it's spelled out in Exodus 20. Uh, but it's also uh, repeated again, almost word for word, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'm going to read from Exodus. This is the fourth command. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it comes to us in the form of not a suggestion, right? But a pretty emphatic statement, a command, if you will. And I would say that Sabbath rest is one of the essentials in our Christian discipleship. It's critically important for us, yet it's really difficult for us to put into practice on an, a regular and ongoing basis because we, we really live in a post-Sabbath world, one that never stops. It's 24-7, 365, go, go, go. If you stop, if you slow down, you're at risk of falling behind. That's what we're taught. We're constantly busy people, and all of our busyness if you, 
if you strip away all the facade and all of the, the ways that we justify ourselves in that, if you strip all of that away, really all of our busyness amounts to ways that we're trying to control something. I, I like what the prophet Amos had to say in Amos chapter 8. He describes an attitude that I think is really consistent with our culture today. You know, the Bible keeps speaking. You know, it was written a long time ago, but the stuff in it speaks so well into our climate today. Amos says, um, he says, when will the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? People back then were so anxious to get the Sabbath day over because they had to get to work to make something and sell it. Production. Uh, time management, all of those things come up in, in that statement. When's the Sabbath going to be over? Do we have to keep doing this because we're missing out on the market? We want to market our wheat. See, Sabbath rest clashes with our culture's emphasis on consumerism, on consumption, on efficiency, on all of those things. I read a news article some time ago, and it was talking about how that it took, I think it took about 100 years for labor unions to win the right to have nights and weekends off or fair working hours so that corporations, companies, were not uh, churning and burning through all their employees and abusing them in that way. But in the same article, it said, it's interesting that it took 100 years of fighting for that right, but it only took the smartphone about three years to dismantle all of that. Think about that. If you're in the working world and you have an electronic leash, how often when you are not working are you checking on work? Or it buzzes and you got to see what, what is, what's going on. But we become slaves to things like this and it's, it's built into the drive of human beings to to want to produce in those sorts of ways. And so it's, it's very addictive and it's, it's hard to put down. In our culture, we have come to uh, associate busyness with importance. Like, hey, if I'm, you know, if I'm busy, that means I've got, I got stuff going on. I'm just making it happen and I must be really important. That's, we have a culture full of people who have bought into that myth our Western way of thinking, uh, we're usually uh, rewarded or at least applauded or celebrated for our busyness or for long hours. That's what's valued, but it's valued to the detriment of our souls. Because we, we have a little crisis going on in our country around anxiety and depression and all of these sorts of things that, you know, the burnout on lots of things is huge right now, and I think a lot of it can be attributed to what we celebrate and our drive to constantly produce more, to do more. And right in the Word of God that we turn to every week, God gives us a rhythm for rest. He, he spells it out for us. It's modeled in his own practice. The, the verses that we read in Genesis, it's 
I think it's important to note that the stoppage of work, and, and the, the word Sabbath literally means to stop, to cease what you're doing. That, that stoppage in the created order, it's not a response that God has because he's tired. It's not because he is fatigued and worn out and can't do anymore. God doesn't need the rest. He could keep going and going, but he models it for us. He builds it into his own practice because he, he kind of just kicks back on the sofa, up wherever he is, kicks his feet up on the ottoman, you know, maybe iced tea in hand, I don't know. But he kicks back and he just looks around at everything that he's created, all the work that he's done. He's like, wow, this is good. I'm going to enjoy it for a while. He lays that out, that, that rhythm is built in there for us to help put us in touch with the pattern of God, to remind us of all of the redemption work that he has done so that we can be in right relationship with him. Now, I love it when Jesus shows up on the scene, and when you read the gospel accounts, there's multiple times where the Pharisees, who have become, they've become legalists about Sabbath keeping. Like, we got to make up rules to make sure that we follow the rule of Sabbath keeping, because in Exodus chapter 31, God kind of turns up the dial on the intensity of, hey, you should protect the Sabbath at all costs. He goes through a long list of things, do's and don'ts, and how to do this and how not to do that in the book of Exodus. And he finally gets to the end of this speech to Moses, and this is just before Moses comes down with the stone tablets and finds you know, Aaron and the rest of the Hebrew people. If now they've created that golden idol that just magically came out of the fire. Well, right before that, so like, God's parting words with Moses up on Mount Sinai when he got the law were, and above all else, make sure you keep the Sabbath. And the consequences are deadly if you do not. You'll either die or be cut off from your people if you don't observe the Sabbath. God's pretty serious about all of this. And so Jesus comes on the scene and the Pharisees have just turned up the, the notch on, on these people, and they're like, okay, make sure you don't do this. And now we have to define what work is and what work isn't. And so there were so many rules to follow. It was, it was just such an oppressive weight that people were carrying around. Like, I don't, am I allowed to sneeze on the Sabbath? Because I don't, I don't want to, if, if that's work, I'm going to hold it in. I might have brain damage, but I don't want to die I don't know if I should carry this or that. And it's kind of interesting when you read through some of what they came up with and how, and how they defined work and what wasn't work. All the loopholes that they found so they could do certain things but not others. Well, Jesus came along and he, he kind of had God's definition of Sabbath in his mind. 
So there's, in Mark chapter 2 is one of the stories, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're just walking along. It happens to be a Sabbath, and his disciples are hungry, and so it was legal that you could pick grain out of people's fields as you were passing by, just because it was such a small quantity. That was just something that you could do to be a good neighbor. And so his disciples have, have picked some grain, and I imagine, you know, they're, uh, you know, grinding it up in their hands, and the Pharisees, some Pharisees, saw them do this, and they approached Jesus, and they say, hey, that is not right on the Sabbath. They should not be picking grain. And one of the ways that Jesus responds to this, he tells them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So that, that last part, the Son of Man, he's making a a Christological, a Messiah reference right there. Like, hey, I'm, I'm the one, I'm God's Messiah, so I'm going to say it's probably okay for me to interpret what Sabbath is and what it's not. But what he's trying to say is that God created Sabbath for humans and our enjoyment, for our refreshment, for our being able to have a time set aside so we can be re-centered in our relationship with, with God. God didn't create us for Sabbath-keeping, legalism. Sabbath is a blessing. It's not meant to be a burden. It's a gift to enrich and refresh you. It's not a heartless demand to just keep heaping weight on your shoulders. It's something to remove all those weights from you so that you can live more freely in Christ. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, he, he writes this, uh, it's a slim little book, it's, it's, um, it's called Sabbath as Resistance. And he has two different things that he talks about in, in the book. Um, but this idea of Sabbath as resistance, he's saying that uh, as Christian people, we can resist the urge, the the pressure of society by practicing Sabbath. And the other way that he talks about it is Sabbath as an alternative. And so you have a choice to live with the culture and how the culture lives and sometimes expects you to live. You can, you can resist that a little bit and offer an alternative. Because, you know, when you go out in the world, there's people that you work with, there's people that you interact with that are just walking around, I mean, on the edge I mean, burnt out, frustrated. Some of those people show up and they shoot up their workplaces. This is a product of where society is pushing us. It's pushing us to the brink emotionally in, in some of these things. And Walter Brueggemann, I love how he talks about it as being a resistance. And as a people of God, we're called to show others how it can be done in a healthy way. One of the main identities of the people of Israel was that they kept the Sabbath. And God placed them in Israel and in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they were like smack dab in the middle of some big civilizations. And they were right there to show other people how it could be done when you live for God. Each and every one of us can live out in the world in such a way that offers an alternative to the people who are just running themselves ragged 
trying to keep up and never feeling like they make it. So uh, this idea of resistance and alternative, you can think about that. Because our society makes us believe that everything depends on what we can provide for ourselves. And to keep a rhythm of Sabbath is to remember that God is the maker and giver of all good things. And it's God's command. He, he, knows, he knows what we need. Uh, since I was reading through the Ten Commandments, it got me thinking about it this week. And I, I know that it's commonly pointed out that in the Ten Commandments, there's like two distinct sections. So there's like the first four talk about our relationship with God, and then the, the, the last six talk to us about our relationship with other people. And I found it interesting that the Sabbath rest command is number four. That's, it's like the, the end of the ones dealing with God, and it starts the ones that talk to us about how we live amongst one another. And I was thinking it's kind of like a hinge commandment. It, it holds the two together. If you follow me for a second, um, you have the ones that, that says that um, God commands the rightful place at the top in our lives, that we should uh, hold his name um, above all others, that we should honor him in everything that we do all the time. And then, as he teaches us how to live with one another peaceably, he begins by telling us about a pattern of rest. So let's get our relationship right with God. And then as we go out to live like humans amongst one another, I think he tells us to rest first. Like, you're going to need to store up some energy to be able to deal with one another. Because we're people. And we get after each other once in a while. And we got, get on each other's last nerve every so often. And if you're not resting well and not practicing Sabbath, I think what we're being taught is that that's going to affect your relationship with other people. Not only will it affect your relationship with God, because you're not doing what he says, but it's going to... It's going to... Um, kind of harm the way we treat one another. So when our defenses are down and we're totally worn out, we're far more susceptible to breaking the last six commandments. Uh, my favorite line in the whole Harry Potter series, now don't judge me for that. Um, <laughs> my favorite line is one that Professor Dumbledore says. And he says, there will be a time when we must choose between what is right and what is easy. That's a pretty good line. There will be a time when we must choose between what is right and what is easy. And I think that if you're not rested and refreshed in the Lord, you will not have the strength or the wherewithal to choose what is right. You'll be tempted and you'll give in to what's easy. So what's just right there in front of you? And you'll give in, and you'll crash, and then you'll feel bad, and you'll carry that guilt around for a while. 
our ability to follow God's commands, I think, hinges on our finding proper rest. And if we do not rest properly, we'll find it pretty difficult to obey. So if you, if you think about that for a little bit, let's just consider why we're here for a moment. Okay? If we ask the question, I think everybody asks the question on occasion, what's, what's God's purpose for me? What, what's God's purpose for me? And we believe that we are created in God's image, and that when sin entered into the world, our image was tarnished, was fractured, and we believe that Jesus came into the world. Uh, he lived a life as the only perfect human being that ever lived on this earth. He lived a sinless life. And we know that he was crucified, dead, and buried, but that God raised him to new life. And we believe that when we profess Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we ask him to forgive our sins, that he does, in fact, forgive us. And he cleanses us, and he purifies us, and we believe that God has given us his constant presence through the Holy Spirit. And God calls us to be his image bearers in the world. What is God's purpose for me? What is God's purpose for us? You could articulate it in a way that says to be his image bearer in the world. Now, I was thinking about image, images and things that reflect. They're, they're shiny, right? Well, sin tarnishes a shiny surface. And so if light hits something that's shiny, it'll reflect, correct? But if, you were, if it was hazy or foggy uh, and light hits something, now it's more opaque and it doesn't, it doesn't reflect. It's dull. And so it's a perfect picture of us as humans. God created us as shiny, happy people. And sin entered the world and tarnishes us and we're opaque and now we're dull and we don't reflect the glory of God around us. But that's why Jesus came to refinish the shine on that surface, to do that work deep within our hearts so that we can get the love of God deep inside us so that we now go out glowing and reflecting into our society. We are God's image bearers in the world. Now, to show people God's love, is it easy? No. It takes a lot of work, right? When you have to decide in the midst of our culture how you're going to live in a way that reflects God's character, what you're going to watch, listen to, participate in, how you're going to spend your money, how you're going to interact on social media, how you're going to, all of these sorts of things that are reflections of the character, are meant to be reflections of the character of God, how we treat our coworkers and our neighbors, how we drive up and down I-5, all, all these sorts of things are ways that we are image bearers 
into the culture that we live. And that's what God calls us to be, is his image bearers. None of those things that I just said are easy. They take discipline. It's a habits that we have to build into our lives. All of these things, being his agent in the world, God knows that we're going to get tired. And he knows that when we're worn down, we're not going to choose what is right. We're going to choose what's easy. Because it's right there. And it's easy. And we're going to slip and we're going to fall, and we're going to go around being worn out and feeling the burden of, hey, we're not doing something. And God says, I want to remove that burden from you. I want you to live as free people. This isn't something that is meant to oppress you, but to help you live freely. He knows that we need Sabbath to recenter and recharge. Uh, Abraham Heschel is his name. He is uh, he's probably one of the great Jewish theologians of the last century. He writes a book on Sabbath, and he says, I, I like how he articulated this, he says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in our soul. The world might have our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Sabbath reminds us of that seed of eternity that's planted deep within every single one of us. Reminds us that our soul belongs to God the Father. So we need this practice of disconnecting from the pace and the intense pressure that we sometimes feel we have to remember, pause and remember that God is God and we are not. <laughs> it takes discipline. And I, I will be totally honest. I, I struggle with this one. This, one, this one's difficult. Um, I'm not good at taking time off. I'm not good at resting well. And, and I know this about me. I, I know it's not healthy. Um, it's something that I'm working on, and thank the Lord that he's walking with me through it, and he can help me with that. And many of you know, m many of you know that about me, and I, I'm grateful for you coming alongside and speaking words of encouragement and praying for me about that. But I have to be really intentional about my time off. I mean, I work six days a week. They're usually long days. My Sabbath is Monday. And I've done everything that I can to protect Monday and have that be my Sabbath day. And Lisa helps me with that uh, because we have, the, we have the same day off together. And um, I tried to set aside all work. And, and I'm going I'm to give you a picture of what I think healthy Sabbath looks like here in a minute. And so... I've tried to make my Mondays model something that, and we've had this conversation in here before. But when we, when we lay aside our own work, what we're doing is we're leaving room in our life for God to work inside us. So if we're so busy all the time, then we just kind of keep God at bay on the margins. Like, you know, there's not really any place 
I'm just so busy, Lord, I, I don't have time for you to do that work in me. And so when we, when we strip those things away, God's famous and really good at moving into those places and teaching us and helping us and encouraging us. Now see, it's not a request that God makes. It's a command. It's not, hey, when you get the chance, you might want to consider this. I know when many of us think about Sabbath, our thoughts gravitate immediately towards solitude and silence, just like non-activity. But I want to remind you of three words that I've, I've taught you before, and I think they bear repeating. Um, there are three actions that make for a good Sabbath. Uh, one is worship. Enjoy, enjoy God. Spend time with your Creator, worshiping Him. Go to church. If your Sabbath happens to be on a Sunday, or, you know, there's... Uh, you can come and interact with the body of Christ. That's a really good thing to do on as many Sundays as you can get here. It's healthy for your soul. Some people work on Sundays. And so this isn't something that has to happen on a specific day of the week. There are people who work in careers that we are grateful that they are out right now monitoring what's going on in society, emergency responders, people at hospitals, all sorts of people, the people who you're going to go visit shortly in the buffet lines, and, you know, if they weren't working, you know, you'd have to make your own lunch. Some people can't Sabbath on Sunday. I, I can't. I come and I worship, and this is a wonderful time, but it's not my Sabbath. It is a time of worship, but I need to figure out ways on Mondays to connect with God. Reading, praying, interacting with, with my family. Jesus said that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And I think a way that maybe you can, uh, could understand what worship might look like for you on your Sabbath day is to try and answer the question, what would a day devoted to the Lord look like? for you. So, rest, or worship. The second word is, is rest. It's a biological necessity for good health. Look it up. The internet will tell you all sorts of wonderful things, and they're all true. Uh, <laughs> you need rest to be a healthy person, a healthy functioning individual. The less sleep you get now, the shorter your lifespan is likely to be. That's the scientific reality. Take some time to retreat, to pause, to disconnect from your technology, take a nap. The point of resting on your Sabbath day is to recharge your batteries. And that looks different for different people. Some people, it, it's, I got it, I need the solitude, I need the silence, I'm an introvert, I don't wanna talk to nobody. I'm going to go off on my own and recharge. Some extroverts in the room, you know, to recharge means interacting with people in a healthy way, and that, that's okay. And the third word is to celebrate. Play. Have fun on your Sabbath day. 
Playing is good for the soul, isn't it? It's when you play and you laugh. It does good for your bones. Immerse yourself in nature. Take a walk. Ride your bike. Do something where you are celebrating the people and God's created order around you. So worship, rest, celebrate. This is what I try and pattern my Mondays around. It's what I think we ought to practice as a people, trying to take whatever day it is that we set aside as our Sabbath. Build those three components in. And so I would just ask you the question, what are you doing in your own life to live in God's rhythm of rest? Is it, is it a priority for you? Or something that's fairly easily shoved off to the side because you feel like, hey, if I'm not productive, I'm going to fall behind. May I encourage you to build in a Sabbath day where you don't do, really, but you just are for the health of your soul and for the glory of God the Father. And I want to close um, with some words from the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 58, verses 13 and 14, if you wanted to come back to this uh, later. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. If you Sabbath well, what Isaiah is saying, if you Sabbath well, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken and the people of God said amen amen well, I wanted to um, share something with you um, actually um, I want to share something I really want to thank you for something um, Oh, I want to thank you for a gift that the board has offered to, to me and my family, uh, something that we have been thinking about and planning for recently. Our denomination has a, a recommendation, and our church has affirmed that direction um, that pastors who have served seven years in a congregation are encouraged to take what is called a sabbatical. And so in just a few weeks, I finish up seven years. And so the board has been talking about this. Uh, it's designed to proactively provide for greater effectiveness, health, and longevity for leadership uh, in churches. And so our local congregation, we have a statement in our 
a local manual uh, that was put together, kind of patterned after the one in the manual of the Church of the Nazarene. And I wanted to read some of it for you. It says, Centralia Church has the following guidelines on sabbatical leave for ministers. In accordance with the Washington Pacific District Directive and the statement in the manual of the Church of the Nazarene, which reads, in order to encourage a healthy pastoral ministry and lifelong learning of the pastor, the church board, in consultation with the district superintendent, should provide a sabbatical leave for the pastor following each seven consecutive years of service in one congregation. It is strongly urged that the pastor's salary continue in full and that the church board provide for pulpit supply during the sabbatical period. And then our local statement, the idea of sabbatical is rooted deeply in scripture in all the ways that we have been talking about this morning. The gift of extended time away expresses how much the congregation values its pastoral leaders and gives the congregation an opportunity to experience growth as people step in and up to help continue the ministry of the church. Centralia Church recognizes the special need of its pastors to seek and obtain spiritual and emotional renewal. The provision of sabbatical time gives pastors the space necessary for personal soul nourishment to grow deeper in his or her walk with the Lord and to gain fresh and clear vision and perspective from God for his or her ministry. This gift of time also encourages rest, renewal, and the opportunity to strengthen family relationships. A sabbatical time away from the regular work of pastoring and is not considered an extended vacation. While it is a time of rest, renewal, and refreshment, it is also a time to be stimulated by new learning and personal growth. Sabbatical time is to evaluate the past and envision the future. And I, I love our board members. And I love that they care enough about the health of our staff to make this provision. And I so love and appreciate all of you for supporting them in all of that. Uh, so they've gifted me with a sabbatical, so I'll be preaching through Father's Day, and then I'm gonna go away for a while, till a little bit after Labor Day. And, and if I'm really honest with you, I've been really upfront with the board. Um, one, I'm excited. And two, I'm nervous. It's a little cause, a little anxiety in me. And I'm not a real anxious person at all, but I have never had that much time off in a row. And so I'm not, I'm kind of anxious to see what, <laughs> what's going to happen. Um, I don't really have any framework of what to expect. Um, I do know and sense that that I need it, um, and I know that it'll be good for me. So the goal of the um, extended Sabbath uh, rest is for spiritual rejuvenation, thinking about the future of our ministry here together. Um, see, when the normal pressures of, of just the everyday uh, work are removed, I, th I think I'll be able to truly sink into what actual rest is. And when that needed refreshment comes, I, and I know that it will, I, I know that the Lord will speak to me through all of that in that space that is created. 
And so what will my time look like? I've kind of organized it in, in two ways. One, connect with God. Two, connect with family. Um, I'll, of course, I'll spend a considerable, considerable, considerable amount of time uh, in prayer and reading and thinking, fine-tuning with God, or letting him fine-tune me, I should say. Lots of listening, uh, for visioning, for our future together. There's a long list of things that I've wanted to get to, to read, that have just they've been on a list for quite a while, and, and I'm excited to get to some of those. There's some writing that I've wanted to do that I think I'll be able to get around on. And if you, if you follow my broom tree site, you'll probably have the opportunity to read some of it. And then there's a couple parts of connecting with family. Of course, Lisa and I will have some time together, which will be good. Uh, and then I'm, I'm going to give uh, some time to each of my kids. They sacrifice a lot for us to follow Jesus in this ministry. And we do our best to make sure that they are loved and cared for. But there's always things that are sacrificed. So this will afford me some time. And then Lisa and I need to get um, over to see her mom, and we need to get down to Florida to see my folks. And so this will give us uh, the opportunity to, to do that. But it's, this whole sabbatical thing, it's going to do more than just be good for me and, and my family. It's really good for the whole church. It's a great reminder that as a church, we are here to care for one another, uh, and that no ministry or church is ever dependent on one person, and never should be. Uh, while I'm away, I'm stepping out in a place of confidence because we have so many capable hands here uh, on our staff and in our board. There's a lot of top-notch people in this place, and so I'm not worried in the least about stepping away from the normal routine of the work of the church because I know that it will be cared for and confident that it will be get done. And so you can route needs through the church office and Pastor Trent and Ken and Karen and Lori will care for your needs. And if there's, any more, and if there's an emergency, of course, I'll do my very best to be here. I, I want to be here for that. Uh, the summer pulpit schedule is complete. Uh, I've been joking with a few people, it's, you know, maybe I just need to get away so you can get some good preaching for a change, but I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the lineup of people that you get to interact with on Sunday morning. Of course, we have um, our staff who are taking several of the Sundays, uh, we have this dynamic young missionary couple uh, coming uh, on July 7th, and their ministry is in Romania. Um, our district superintendent's going to be here. Uh, all sorts of just wonderful things that will happen on Sunday morning. You'll be cared for here uh, next Sunday on the back of the core guide. We'll have the whole summer lined out for you. Um, and I would encourage you to participate in all of them if you can. 
Uh, somebody will have to take notes for me. Um, but it's also a good reminder that the church is, is a functioning, uh, a church that functions well is one that cares for each other. You all are authorized to pray with, to visit, to minister to the people you're sitting next to. The responsibility should never fall just to a staff that runs a church. The church is the people. And we ought to be about the business of caring for each other on a regular basis. But in a time like this, it's, it's just maybe the reminder is a little bit more intense for us. And the work of our interior remodel project, that's going to move forward. Everybody knows what they're doing. And I'll probably come back and the family bathroom will be in. And maybe the, the bathrooms here will be remodeled. We, none of that needs to stop. So the work of the church will continue. The ministry will press forward during the summer. And this is an opportunity for all of us to grow in new ways. And so certainly you'll have questions, uh, and I'd love to chat with you about all of them. Um, for now, I just simply want to say thank you. And please pray for me and for us that this is a healthy time of rejuvenation and growth, not just for me, but pray for us as a church that it will help. This might be something that helps us to grow uh, even more close together than we already are. So I did want to close by reading the verses that have kind of shaped our ministry, and I'm going to have our, our worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing a closing song. Kind of the verses that we have adopted, they're printed, they're on the wall in the library. Uh, you can stop in there and read them anytime, or simply open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. You don't get the summer off. Keep meeting together. It's good for you. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Would you stand? Master, my 